Okay, we are in Daniel chapter 2. And what we talked about last time in Daniel chapter 2 was that the king had a dream. And he really didn't forget the dream. Sometimes listed on, on the top of the chapters is the king's forgotten dream. And we know that he didn't forget it because if he forgot it, then the wise men could have come in and told him anything. And said, oh no, no, you, you're just not remembering. Let us tell you what you dreamt. And he also said it in... in uh, he said it in verse 9, he says that if you do not make the dream known to me, this is in Daniel chapter 2, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. So the king has a dream, but he brings in all the wise men and he says, not only do I want the interpretation of the dream, I want you to tell me what is the dream that I had, then I will know that you're adequate to give me the interpretation. Or else, you know, if somebody tells you a dream, you could say anything. You, know, you could just make up anything. How are they going to know? And, uh, but he wanted to know for sure because this dream really impressed him. And so when they were unable to, how we read last time, when they were unable to tell him the dream, uh, he, he put forth a decree that all the wise men... In, in Babylon were going to be killed. These were all the, the, the astrologers. These were all the people in that special school where Daniel was. And it was an amazing school. They, they learned not only how to, how to interpret dreams, they, they learned not only about astrology, but they also learned science and they learned engineering and many things. So Daniel is in, his, in about his second year of the school and we know that because this says that it, it happened it says up in uh, verse 1 that it was happening in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. And it was in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar that the first attack on Jerusalem had occurred. So Daniel is, is still very much in school. That's why he wasn't called forth into this. They went looking for Daniel and his friends because they're just going to kill all the students in that school too. And we read last time uh, in verse 14, how Daniel had replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the bodyguard, who had gone forth to sweat to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter, so Daniel went in. He requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that it might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So this is serious business. He had said, he had even told them how they were going to be killed. He said, you'll be torn limb from limb and your, home will be, your house will be made a rubbish heap, which is a public latrine. He was going to take them out and their entire families. So this is serious business. Daniel is, it says to Arioch, he finds out what's going on and he says, let's request of the king time. So he requests of the king time in order to do this. So what you see here, and then, he, then Daniel goes back to his dorm room, to, his, to the college there, and he tells his three friends, we've got to have a meeting, prayer meeting. And remember, this is the first student-led prayer meeting that's documented. And they get together and they pray. Student-led prayer meetings have been the start of many, many movements uh, throughout the world, throughout history. And so the prayer meetings that you guys have are, can really be powerful. So they have this prayer meeting and 
why does Daniel have to ask for time? If it's supernatural and God speaks, why doesn't God, Daniel, say, don't worry, I'll just walk in there and God will give me what I need and I'll just speak it forth. No, Daniel asks for time. So what you actually see here then is that the supernatural, God speaking, works with the natural. Daniel very much had to go into prayer in order to receive this. It wasn't like Daniel just automatically got this and said, just bring me before the king. He'll give me words to speak in the time of need. Don't worry about it. That was very specific when Jesus told his disciples that they would do that. And that's when they would be brought before kings and synagogues, the disciples, to give testimony of the gospel, that he would give them what they needed in that instant. Here, Daniel asks for time. So you see the supernatural, God speaking to us, works with the natural. Daniel had to go into prayer. It wasn't like, oh, well, if God wants me to live, I guess I'll just sit here and He'll give me what I need and I'll say what I need and we'll live. No, the Holy Spirit works very much with natural things in our lives. Works with us. And we have an obligation to do certain things. Daniel's obligation was to meet with his friends in prayer. So the supernatural works very much within the natural. That's the way these things work. That's the way it goes. The supernatural works with the natural. And then Daniel, it says, now remember, Daniel's writing this. Daniel refers to himself as Daniel. But remember, a name had been given to him in in Babylon. Belshazzar had been given to him. His three friends had been given names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. But Daniel meets with his three friends. Daniel says his name is Daniel. He meets with his three friends and he uses their Jewish names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why doesn't he use their Babylonian names? Because to Daniel, though he lived according to the culture, and the Babylonians called him by that name, called the, the four of them by different names, he remembered who he was. Each one of them was given a name related to another Babylonian god. But they were going to maintain their own Jewish names. So among them, they still referred to each other using their Jewish names. So you can live in a certain environment. You can live in a certain culture. And the culture is doing many things swirling around you. But you can still maintain the treasure of the things that God has given you. Even if the world is trying to change the things in your life, You can maintain who you are and what you believe. And Daniel and his three friends are still going amongst them by the very names that they use. And so they request compassion. It says they requested compassion of the God of heaven. This term, the God of heaven, came in after the fall of the temple. Once the the temple was gone, it says the Shekinah glory left and it went up to heaven, where it continues to be to this day. The Shekinah glory left, and that's when they started. This is the the post-exilic term that's used. That's when they started using this term, the God of heaven. And that's when you see it kick in in the Bible. And you you will see very often Daniel refers to the God of heaven. And so he he makes reference. He says they they were crying out to the God of, of heaven concerning the mystery, so that Daniel and his three friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So you say, well, this was a self-centered prayer. You bet. I mean, they're going to be destroyed. Why are they praying? So they wouldn't be destroyed. 
They were very much praying for this. In verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel received now the understanding, number one, of what the dream was, and number two, the interpretation of it, not in a dream, but in a night vision. A vision is he's very much awake, but he now starts seeing something. God gives him a picture of something. He saw this in a vision. And so then Daniel goes into prayer. And what we've got is we've got a a section from Daniel's prayer ledger. That's what we've got here. And so this is how Daniel prayed when God had, had given him this. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Now you see, here he starts praising God. Well, Why is he doing this? Doesn't he have to hurry? I mean, he's got to deal with this issue. So he's got to run back and deal with the, with the king. But no, he's going to take time to thank God for what God gave him. He says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel starts out by praising God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This praising of God. He says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. That's how he started out. He said, for wisdom and power belong to you. Who has wisdom? God has wisdom. Who has power? God has power. You want to exceed in your career? Remember, who has wisdom and who has power? And learn to appeal to Him. If you think that you will get all this on your own and you will compete very strongly against the world, go ahead and try. The world is full of very smart people you'll be competing against. Or you can learn to cry out to the God of heaven and you can cry out and ask for wisdom and you can ask for the power that you need in the situations that you have. And that's the one to whom He appealed. He said, it is you who changes the times and the epics. You remove kings and establish kings. Jehoiakim was the king of Israel that was, was deposed by Nebuchadnezzar. God had set Nebuchadnezzar in this place and Daniel realized that. Remember, this is the training period where he's teaching Jews to live under the authority during the time of the Gentiles, which continues and will continue until the second coming of the Lord. And he's teaching Jews how to live within a society. He teaches us how to live within a society where we are ruled by the time of the Gentiles. We are generally ruled by unbelievers. And he's teaching them how to live. But he says, he acknowledges that it is God who has put them in this place. It is God who has removed Jehoiakim. It is God, remember in chapter 1 it said, and God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. God is the one who established Nebuchadnezzar. God is the one who removed Jehoiakim. Daniel sees this very much in the context of what God is doing. There is a directive will of God that God is fulfilling and doing this. There's a directive will of God. There's also a permissive will of God. In other words, you jump off a building, and even though God doesn't necessarily want you dead, you will understand something of His permissive will when you jump off that building. That's what I mean by a permissive will. So, so 
he removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. This is powerful. He knows what's in the darkness. The light dwells with him. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. In, in Proverbs, it, it says the light and the darkness are the same to him. Just the other day, I have a, a, a few students in my research group that are believers. And one of them came and he, he brought these really interesting results, but I didn't know what to make with them. I said, let's pray. And we just got on our knees and we just started praying. I said, Lord, I, I feel like a, a blind man walking around with a stick. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But the darkness and the light are the same to you. Lord, show us your way. Lord, make it clear. And I trust that God will. As we go along, He will begin to make this clear. I, he doesn't give me visions of this is what's going to happen and in 12 years, this is where you're going to be with this project. He doesn't do that. He generally doesn't do that. What He does is He leads us day by day, but we cry out to Him for wisdom, for power, for understanding. Creativity is the one thing that you can't easily get instructed in. But what you do is you, you, you get all sorts of knowledge and then you allow God, Lord, give me creativity. What am I going to do with this thing? How do you put all this together? How do you synthesize this together? So he's crying out and he says this. He says that it's you who reveals the profound and hidden things. If that's true, then why don't we appeal to him more? It says in James chapter 4, you do not receive because you do not ask. So the primary reason why we don't receive answers to prayer is because we flat out don't pray. How profound is that? You don't receive because you do not ask. He says, you are the one who reveals the profound and hidden things. Learn to ask of Him. Learn to come before Him on your knees and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me this. When I'm writing a proposal, you think, oh, well, this is all naturalistic. You don't need God. No. I say, Lord, give me the hands of a ready writer. Lord, give me creativity as I start to write this thing. Lord, for your glory, give me creativity. This is what he's calling us to. And so few believers ever call upon this. And so as a result, there's no substantive difference between the believer and the unbeliever in the world. Because so few believers ever call on the Lord. You want to go on your own? Fine. Or do you want to call upon God? He says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Where did it come from with Daniel? It wasn't inherent within him. Daniel says, You gave me wisdom and power. Even now, you have made known to me what we requested of you. You made known to me, Daniel says, what we, me and my three friends, what we requested of you. He is acknowledging that this was a communal thing. This was a group prayer thing. We requested this of you together. You revealed it to me because I have this gift of getting visions. It says in chapter 1 that Daniel had that special, special gift. And then he says, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel was ready to share this, to say, this is us, guys. You know, we're together in this. He, he, says, he says, this is what we, we've done together. We came before the Lord, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We, we're together in this thing. 
They were all crying out together and God revealed it to them and, and Daniel was very able to share this. This wasn't something that he was trying to take by himself. So then after he prays this prayer, he goes to Ariok, the, the, the captain of the chief's bodyguard, of, of the king's God, uh, bodyguard, who was designated to fulfill this decree. And remember, it wasn't just go out blindly and kill them all. It was a decree. So they were going to line them up and impale them or do something with them. They were, they, they were gathering them all up to take care of them in that way. Then, therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed in verse 24 to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and he spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Now, Daniel well knows that you can't even speak the interpretation to the king until you do what the king said. You first have to tell him the dream. So this is implicit within this. We're ready. Verse 25, then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have, found among, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. So it says Arioch hurried at this. Arioch was not looking forward to killing all of these people. Remember, these were very important people in the land. These were over great segments of the government. He didn't relish doing this, not at all. This was, he wasn't looking forward to, to having to, to, to carry this out. And when he hears there's a way out for him, he says he hurriedly brought, brought uh, Daniel into the king's presence. And then Arioch says, it's interesting, you can see Arioch trying to take a little bit of credit for this thing. He says, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Now, Arioch was very gracious in listening to Daniel. But you can see Ariok trying to get in on this. So he really trusts that Daniel has something here. Because he would never put himself on the line like this if he didn't believe that Daniel was going to be able to deliver. You know, he didn't think Daniel was going to say, Psych, Ariok, <laughs> you can join us now. <laughs> you know, he didn't do this. <clears throat> then the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. So you see, now Daniel is telling us that the king is not calling him Daniel. The king is calling him Belshazzar. So Daniel begins to tell us this. The, the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Remember, you've got to tell me the dream and its interpretation. Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and your vision in your mind while on your bed. And as for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. So when he brings him before Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar says, are you sure you understand the guidelines here? You've got to tell me what I dream, what, what, the dream that I had before you give me the, the interpretation. And 
And uh, uh, Daniel says, I know, I know, you know, actually what's been revealed to you is something that's going to take place in the future. And he says, this was your dream and the vision in your mind while on your bed. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he had a vision. This is again how we know that he did not forget this. This was a vision. Remember, if he had forgotten this thing, the wise men could have just said, well, this was your dream. Well, how are you going to know? He forgot. So we're telling you this is what it was. No, he very much knew it was also in a vision and it had disturbed him greatly. And then David, uh, Daniel then goes on and he continues to explain. He says, remember, none of the people in your kingdom could do this because no man can do this. This is supernatural. God does this. God reveals it. God makes these mysteries known. And then he, he, he says, you know, this is not me. He says, I'm not smarter than anybody. Of all your, your, this is, God has interceded. I am telling you, this is my life. So many people are like, you know, they think my IQ is 80 points higher than it really is. God gives. God gives wisdom. God gives insight. And Daniel says it's the same. He says, there's nothing in me. He says, here is why I got this. He says in, in verse 30, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. God cares enough for you. God cares about you. So He wants to speak to you. That's why all of this has happened. That's why God revealed this to me because He wants you to hear this. God cares about you. This is the message to King Nebuchadnezzar. God cares about you. The God of heaven wants to speak to you. King Nebuchadnezzar, who has a thousand gods, God of heaven wants to speak to him. And this is what happens in our life. We who have so many other cares and things in life, the God of heaven wants to speak to us. The God of heaven wants to speak to the one who is lost. This is the message. This is why the gospel has come. This is why he gives us the gospel to share with people. Because the God in heaven wants to speak to people because he loves them. He says in verse 31, You, O king, were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and extraordinary, of, of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. Now, let me just tell you, this word awesome, you know, somebody will say, I went to the store. Awesome. That's, you know, you, you could say good for you. But awesome, we just lost the meaning of this word. I mean, there was this statue that was just amazing to this guy and really caught his attention. He says, the head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So what he does is he describes the, to him the statue that he saw. So Nebuchadnezzar, again, this was very vivid in his mind because he's given specific detail and Nebuchadnezzar can say, you got it. The head was made out of gold. And so 
so when you when you look at the progression, it goes from from the most expensive to the least expensive material. It actually goes from the highest density or specific gravity to the lowest density. So it's actually top heavy. You'd never normally build. You don't build a building top heavy, do you? Yeah, he's an architect. So so th this is. This is how it was built. It goes from the highest density to the lowest density of the material. It goes from the softest of the materials to the hardest when you get down into the legs. And it talks about bronze. The King James says brass. Bronze is copper with 12% tin. Brass is copper with zinc. It's an alloy. And, and so we're not sure if it's bronze or brass. It depends on which interpretation you're reading uh, uh, um, for, the, for the belly. But... Then it goes, goes into the iron, which is the, the hardest of the metals, but the least expensive. But then it goes into clay. And remember, when you make a composite, if you make a composite two dissimilar materials, you have to have good interfacial interaction or it's very weak. And what they've got is they've got iron mixed with clay. That composite is very weak. And that's where we get our expression feet of clay. So, so this, this is really unstable. And he, he describes to them, he describes what he sees. And now he goes into the interpretation. He says, this was the dream now, and, and now I will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hands and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So what he says to Nebuchadnezzar, he has given you rule over the entire earth. God gave it to you. This is a strong thing to say to a monarch. The only reason you're in your position is because God gave it to you. It's not you, it's God gave it to you. Strong words, but at this point he really respects Daniel because Daniel knew what the dream was. And Daniel realized that Nebuchadnezzar was put there by God. And this is what it tells us in the, in the New Testament. In, in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Timothy, it tells us that governments have been put there for a reason. And it tells us to pray for those who are in government. We are instructed to do this in the New Testament. He says, you have been given rule. But not only this, he says, wherever you go, you will win in every battle. Nebuchadnezzar could have started a battle with anyone and he would have won because it's proclaimed right here. God gave it to him. And also in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, in, in, it, it talks about the same th thing in, 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 in Jeremiah and in, and in Ezekiel. It says the same thing. Jeremiah 27, Ezekiel 26. It says, it talks about how Nebuchadnezzar specifically will be given dominance. So Daniel and two other prophets said, you know, that guy could have taken any battle. He would have won. God gave it to him. He says, after you in verse 38, so he's speaking of Babylon. Now in verse 38, he's speaking of Medo-Persia and Greece. He says, after you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. That's Medo-Persia who's going to take over from his grandson. Uh, uh, the, the Babylon was going to reign supreme for 70 years and then Medo-Persia attacks. Then another third kingdom of bronze which will rule over all the earth and that's Greece. And then comes Rome. Verse 40. Then there will be the fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so that iron that breaks it in pieces, it will crush and break all these things in pieces. In that you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay, and the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. So some of the kingdom will be strong and other parts of it will be brittle. 
and in that you saw the iron mixed with the common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of the kings of he- in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever, inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it, will, it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, and the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Many people have thought that Daniel was actually written in, in, uh, uh, in about 100 or 200 B.C. because of how predictive this really was. Uh, uh, this is amazing, amazing the predictions that, that, that uh, God gave Daniel in this. But what you see is you see one kingdom rise and the kingdom falls. A kingdom rises and the kingdom falls. Then a kingdom is established. And once that kingdom grows up, it will not be shared with another, and that's the Messianic Kingdom. Jesus came, but the Messianic Kingdom is not going to be established until the seven years of the Great Tribulation. So, so the Messianic Kingdom is... We, we know that, that uh, uh, the, rapture, the rapture, the taking of people from the church, can happen at any instant. Remember that. can happen at any instant. The second coming of the Lord is not going to happen until after the seven years of Tribulation. How do we know that? Because the Scriptures say that. And we're not in the tribulation period. Definitely not. The signs are not there for that happening. But you see that there's these predictions that are going to take place. And you wonder about human society. So let's reflect on this a minute. G.K. Chesterton, the great writer from, from the 20th century, mid-20th century, right after World War II, was asked by a, 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 a newspaper in the UK, in England, to write, what is wrong with the world? What is the problem with the world? So they wanted this great writer to write, what is the problem of the world? And what he wrote is so profound that I memorized it in its entirety. And I would suggest that you do it too. And I will quote it here for you today. I will memorize it in its entirety. And here's what he wrote to this newspaper, this London newspaper called called The Times in, in London, And here's what he wrote. He wrote, uh, Dear Sirs, comma, I am, period, yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. I am. What is wrong with humanity? I am. We are. People are. This is the problem with humanity. It is people. People are the problem with humanity. You are not going to get around this. The problem with humanity is people. And so many writings have gone forth. And, and it talks about how there, there, there was, there was uh, um, uh, it, it talks about people in different situations. Right after World War II, in 1949, there was a lot of writing about why people do what they do. And, and it's interesting. It says, uh, uh, this, is, this is by Herbert Butter, uh, Butterfield in 1949, who was a great historian. He said, the difference between civilization and barbarism is the same human nature working under different conditions. That's what it is. It's the same human nature working under different conditions. And the example he gives is this. Say the police in a city were to go on strike. People who never thought that they'd be thieves start becoming thieves. There are things that constrain us 
from our will going forth. Say you have a revolution in a capital city. What happens? Looting, burning, raping, stealing. People who never thought they would have done that. You go look at some of the riots lately. People who never thought they would be looting found themselves looting. You look at the conquest of a city. When a city is conquered, what happens? The soldiers come running in and they burn, they pillage, they rape, they destroy. Things they thought they they would never do, they do. Human nature. Human nature is merely working under different... It's the same, but working out under different conditions. This is what it is. Selfishness and self-centeredness and self-righteousness filled us all. And unless we have some self-analysis, exactly what we do in the Lord's Supper. Lord, examine my heart. Unless you look at the Scriptures, the Bible says, have your minds transformed. I am telling you, human nature is like this. If you think that you're basically pretty good and you will not do such a thing, just remember what I'm telling you. When you do something really evil, think back to this time and say, wow, I thought I was really pretty nice. When you start getting power, you will see how easy it is to abuse the power. I'll give you an example. One day, some of you are going to be very high up in companies, be CEOs and be very high up in companies. You will see, young men, how easy it is for you to start having a flirtatious attitude with women who work for you. And you will catch yourself and saying, what am I doing? As soon as you start assuming some position of power, you start seeing yourself come out. You have to say, Lord, have mercy on me. Women will be put in positions of power and start seeing how there's a tendency of women to start dumping on other women below them and treating them in in ways that that are not right. We all have these tendencies. Human nature, Butterfield writes, human nature produces pride, cupidity, which is the greed for money, self-centeredness that convinces us that we are 100% right and others are similarly wrong. This played out in Nazism. This played out in Marxism. I mean, the people in Germany that did this to Jews were saying, "We, we can't believe we did this. We did it, but we cannot believe we were brought to that point. And the studies that were done with, at Stanford with college students where they were, were in, in the 60s, where they were uh, um, electrocuting other college students just put in different situations. You can read about that. I mean, these studies that were doing it. And so you can see that, that uh, uh, people, it's the human nature. Our minds have to be transformed. Romans, <clears throat> let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and we'll close with this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <clears throat> Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So that you may prove what the will of God is. We have to have our minds renewed. Uh, It's been put this way. It's been put this way. This is what's called the, uh, the messianic saying, meaning that when we, when what we believe is right, this is what's going to happen. Quote, just one little war more against the last enemies of righteousness and then the world will be cleansed and we can build that paradise. You know, we have this tendency to think that we are so right. 
we are so right in what we are and what we believe and what we want to do. Just remember the problem with humanity, the reason nations rise up and they fall, nations rise up and they fall. The problem with humanity is humanity. The problem with the world is, is, is I am, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton says. This is the problem with the world. And this is the very thing that the scriptures cause us to examine ourselves. Because you know who wins in that situation? The only one who wins is the person with the thickest skin who can continue to convince themselves that they are right when they end up even killing another. That's where it goes with human nature. And that's why the scriptures call us back. Nothing like the Bible to call us back to this, to bring us back to examine ourselves. This is why it's so important to be in the scriptures. Self-examination. Examine yourself. Examine yourself and say, Lord, check my heart. Is my heart right? Because it has a tendency to get caught up in a mob mentality. And you end up doing things and looting and raping and pillaging in something that you never thought you would. This is human nature. And this is why the scriptures call us back to examine ourselves. And this is why societies come and societies go. This is what the scriptures call us to. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would so work in their lives to cover, bless, and protect them. That as believers, as believers, they would examine their hearts, that their hearts would be examined, that they would check themselves and say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, I thank you for your word, which is so revealing to us. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would learn to take from your word and say, Lord, examine me, that their minds may be transformed away from the things of this world. Father, if they ever start getting caught in mob mentalities and saying things that they never thought they would say, Father, check them, I pray, and have mercy on them. Lord, protect them as they get into positions of power from abusing that power, from dominating another because of that power. Lord, may they grow in humility before you. May the grace of God so surround them. Lord, I pray for the unbelievers here. Draw them to Jesus and save their souls, I pray. Lord, save their souls. Lord, I pray for the, the Chinese in our midst. Lord, what a great people they are. Father, I pray that you'd save their souls, the ones who do not know you, that they would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy and in his beauty. And Lord, I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.